if you follow the program and you're in your community and you're engaged and you're getting back and, and you're networking and building your business, we believe that it doesn't matter how many traditional bike shops are there. You're going to get uh, your share of the business and you're going to be able to grow your business and have a successful business at the end of the day. Welcome to the Channel Mastery Podcast. If you're a specialty business and brand leader obsessed with understanding what the most effective channels are today to connect with, serve, and sell to your target consumers, then you've just found the perfect podcast and community. My name is Kristen Carpenter, and I'm your host and the founder of Verde Brand Communications, the presenting sponsor of Channel Mastery. Verde created the Channel Mastery Podcast to level the playing field for the specialty brands we serve. Every week on this show, we study how consumer preferences are changing and the evolving channels they like to use to engage with their favorite brands. Once again, welcome to Channel Mastery and subscribe today. My friends... Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast. Kristen Carpenter here with you today. Super excited to be sharing this awesome episode for so many reasons. Before I drop into all of those reasons, I want to first give a shout out to Bicycle Retailer and Industry News, BicycleRetailer.com, co-presenting sponsor of this episode today, right along with Verde Brand Communications, VerdePR.com. You can also find full show notes at VerdePR.com and on ChannelMastery.com, as well as in the Bicycle Retailer and Industry News newsletter. And if you are not subscribing to that, you should head over to BicycleRetailer.com and get signed up for crying out loud. But today, back to today, we have an amazing guest, amazing entrepreneur. His name is Chris and he is the CEO and founder of VeloFix. And VeloFix is a Verde brand partner. But I happen to love this account and work on Chris's business myself because it is an incredible channel expansion vehicle, haha, but it's true, for people in the bike community. Um, That could be people who have bike mechanic backgrounds, shop backgrounds, et cetera. There's a myriad of people who own VeloFix franchises. And frankly, I've been talking with them a lot. I wish I could get one for my son, actually, because it is an amazing business model. Um, You can check it out at VeloFix.com, obviously. But Chris is here today to talk about the recent expansion that he and the team at VeloFix are leading. They have a lot of news in the pipeline right now. They secured a great round of funding with a new partner in the earlier part of 2019. They have opened a U.S. headquarters in the amazing city of Austin, Texas. They have an incredible team that they've been adding to. Again, all of this will be linked in the show notes for you. But ultimately, what we're talking about today is obviously the founding story of VeloFix, but really the value proposition of VeloFix and how that has evolved. Obviously, there's convenience, there's on-demand, there's concierge premium service, but VeloFix has had to evolve with the with the demands and with the preference changes of the end consumer. So when the brand was founded in 2012, when the company was founded, there was a very different consumer expectation out there than there is today that's being continually trained by, you know, the Ubers, the Amazons, et cetera, of the world. And you are that consumer and so am I. We are being trained every day. (laughs) And it's super interesting to see how VeloFix is closing the loop on so many levels in terms of what consumers demand today. It's a very exciting category. There's a ton to learn from this episode in terms of where today's consumer is, and also just looking at the trajectory of VeloFix and how it has changed over the years. Um, We talk about what makes a great franchise business. We talk about how VeloFix is continually investing in its technicians. We talk about the corporate fleet, the overall brand experience that consumers have, and how net promoter score is so, so important to that. There's just endless amounts of stuff to learn from Chris in this podcast today. Plus, he's a great guy and a great interview. So without further delay, here is the Chris Jemay interview on the Channel Mastery Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Let's do this. 
Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast. I am so excited to introduce Chris Guimet to you today, who is the co-founder and CEO of VeloFix. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. I understand you're in your new U.S. headquarters in Austin, Texas today. Is that right? I am. Yeah, it's, uh, I was in New York last week. It was, uh, it was a little brisk there. It's beautiful, sunny in Austin, and uh, happy to be here. It's a great city. It truly is, and it's awesome that you're setting up your U.S. headquarters there. So let's start by having you talk about the founding story of VeloFix, and then we're going to talk about the trajectory of the company and kind of where we are today, because you're at a very, very exciting time as we're just about to wrap up 2019, heading into 2020. So let us know the founder story from your words. Sure. Yeah. I think like a lot of uh, great companies, we started in a garage. <laughs> we started in a garage with some beers. So uh, <laughs> my co-founders and partner, uh, David Zauza and Boris Martin, sitting in a in a garage having some beers and, and uh, thinking there had to be a, a better way, thinking there had to be a different solution in terms of getting your bike serviced and um, buying parts and accessories you needed for your bike. So it was that simple. Uh, David and I were, say, frustrated consumers. Boris was um, working in a bike shop while he was going to university. And at the end of the day, the three of us came together and, and started VeloFix. That was many years ago. Tell us exactly what the founding year was and what the, what the climate was like at the time. Because obviously, consumers' preferences are changing all the time. And Amazon, we call that the Amazon effect a lot here on Channel Mastery. But it has to do with a lot of different companies shaping the expectations of consumers today. And that's what we chase on this show and what we try and, I guess, hack. <laughs> so at the time that you founded this, I think you might have been a little ahead of the curve. Tell us like, when you founded the company and kind of what the landscape was like from a consumer expectation standpoint. Well, we, we got together and, and uh, we were in the garage at the end of, end of 2012. At that point in time, we were kicking around the idea and trying to figure out what the business model should be. And basically October of 2012 uh, was the first meeting. And, and at the start of uh, 2013, so January 2013, we put, we put the first uh, mobile bike shop on the road. And no question, uh, I think from um, uh, an, a cycling industry situation, we were definitely very early. We had suppliers that uh, didn't want to sell us because we weren't a, a brick and mortar. We didn't have a storefront. And I think the climate back then in terms of the uh, the IBD, the independent bike dealer, was much different than it is today. And you're right, back then, you know, Uber wasn't what it is today. Amazon Prime wasn't what it is today. All these companies were starting to evolve. And, you know, you've got Airbnb, WeWork, all these companies were just starting to evolve and, and really uh, gain traction. So I think from our perspective, we saw the vision in terms of uh, concierge type service when and where you want it. But uh, uh, we were probably, uh, I guess, hindsight 2020, we're, we're probably a couple years early. But having said that, it, those were the years that helped form the company and shape the company into what it is today. And that the value proposition, I think, has remained the same in terms of, you know, the convenience, the on-demand, on as you said, the concierge premium service. How has the business model changed over that time? Did you start out of the gate, for example, with a focus on your franchisees or like how did you, what was your vision for that maybe first 18 months and how did it evolve after that in terms of how you were going to get this service trusted and in front of the right people? Yeah, I think really our, our initial vision, our initial focus anyway, was that personal customer. So that person that uh, wants to get uh, a bike service at their home or at their office. And we really tried to focus on that. And quite frankly, when we, launched, we launched the first mobile bike shop in Vancouver, you know, we hadn't decided if this was a franchise model or not. Really, we wanted to get one, uh, one shop on the road. We wanted to understand the business. We'd want to understand how our, our route optimization software was working and how we could change that. So, you know, really in the beginning, it was get one mobile shop on the road it was deliver a premium convenient experience. It was to truly understand, you know, what the customers uh, were looking for. And I think we had a, a great advantage because at the end of the day, David and I were the, were the customer that we thought was out there. So we really designed the business based on what we needed or what we wanted. So that's kind of what, what started it off. And, and we launched one mobile shop in Vancouver and um, we really reached out to the community and, and our connections 
and uh, and really we we asked people to try it, and um, and it went from there, and and it quickly gained ground. The word of mouth, which is still a big part of how how we drive awareness in our business, gained massive traction in Vancouver, and it really very quickly we were book solid, and um, and the business was taking off, and uh, we put a second uh, mobile shop in Victoria, BC. So it's on Vancouver Island. We want to try to get a little bit of distance to make us uh, work on our business model and our infrastructure. And then from there, we really made the decision to franchise it out across Canada. And then after that, we went down to the U.S. market. So I have some questions because it sounds like, um, you know, what you did in your founding market in terms of creating trust and creating relationships with that end consumer, it, it became, I think, the model of like what you're hoping to provide across the country now, obviously in, in uh, North America, so I guess on the continent. I'm curious to know... Was it really kind of, as you said, it was word of mouth. I'm sure people also saw the vans around and were like, what's that all about, right? But then what were some of the other things that you think made it successful? Was it the actual relationships? Was it the person in the van who was, was it your, wasn't it your partner at the time who was in the, the first van setting up the business? Yeah. Yeah, Boris. Uh, well, Boris uh, not only was in the first van as, as the, the mechanic, but he built the first van basically in a Home Depot parking lot. So uh, he was uh, he was intimately involved in, in that first van and then intimately involved in in what the model looked like and how we interacted with the customers and I think really the success came from a very very premium experience uh, he was he was a wonderful mechanic but he was also great with people one on one going into bike shops can be very intimidating for people we create this one on one environment where you can come into the back of the the van there's Wi Fi there we offer you a coffee. So we really tried to create a premium experience. We we tried to curate the best possible products we could. We became, you know, an educator. Clients really looked to looked to us for direct advice and we tried to give them advice and create a long-term lifetime value for the customer. We weren't just trying to do one interaction and one transaction and charge as much as we could. We really wanted to see that consumer three or four times a year. So, you know, that was the early stages of what we're doing and what we're trying to accomplish. But the other big piece became the convenience factor. So with our root optimization software, you put in your zip code or postal code in Canada, and it brings up the time and dates we're in your neighborhood. And what that does is it just eliminates windshield time, the mobile bike shops in one area. But really what happened was somebody could go on, use their smartphone or their desktop and book an appointment for Thursday at four o'clock. And the mobile bike shop was there at four o'clock on the Thursday and their bike or bikes were tuned and done right there. So not only do you have the convenience of not having to go somewhere, you also never really lose your bike, which the current model from a traditional retail model, that could be three days, five days, two weeks in terms of your not having access to your bike. So I think those were the really key points that, that gained traction and make, made people very happy with the service and what we're doing. So I have to ask a question with, obviously, I think that there are a lot of local IBDs that might think that they can kind of start and build a solution like this in terms of just, you know, possibly getting a van and like starting to service their local community with this. And I'm curious to know, like if we're looking at major urban areas and obviously you you have, we're going to talk about some expansion plans that you have on the horizon, but what is it that would enable your your franchise partners, your Velifix franchise partners to be successful in a community with maybe it's a consistency thing, maybe it's, um, as you said, the online uh, online scheduling and the infrastructure around the root optimization software. What are the things that you guys built into the Velifix solution that really did kind of come through for consumers and build that trust repeatedly for consumers? This is a really intimate product. I mean, you're coming to my house or my place of work and you're servicing my bike, right? <laughs> That's actually a pretty intimate play. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I mean, it, it really surprised us in terms of how intimate that was, that that one-on-one experience and how much people have a passion for cycling and a passion for their, their bikes, whether it was a, a road bike or a mountain bike or a triathlete or electric bike, people truly, truly love their bikes and they want to trust somebody with it. And for us, those early learnings of, uh, as I mentioned earlier, one-on-one you're, you're in an intimate environment. The mobile bike shop's only 100 square feet. You're looking to that mechanic for advice. And as I said from day one, we really try to, yes, of course, our business is based on labor rates and selling parts and accessories, but we really tried to take the approach that 
this consumer or this customer is going to come back and they're going to be with us over time. So that was kind of the approach we took that may be a, a point of differentiation. I'm not sure, but the cycling industry is growing. There's more people on bikes. <clears throat> and I, I think, you know, we've always thought from day one that, look, we are just a different way for somebody to get their bike serviced or for somebody to buy parts and accessories for the bike or somebody going online and buying the bike and have us build it. We coexist with, with traditional bike shops all across North America. We're at the same events. We're, at, we're out supporting the same charity rides. We're in the community as well. And we've always taken the approach that, yes, I guess at, at the end of the day, we are competing for that customer. But the more people that get on bikes, the more people that ride, every, everybody has an opportunity to, to win in that situation. So for franchise partners, you know, we, we get that question all the time. And um, if you follow the program and you're in your community and you're engaged and you're getting back and, and you're networking and building your business, we believe that it doesn't matter how many traditional bike shops are there. You're going to get... Uh, your share of the business and you're going to be able to grow your business and have a successful business at the end of the day. And I totally agree with you. And the same, it, it really rings true to what we love to look at here, which is we hold up the North star, which is the end consumer. And what I love already about what you've been talking about here, Chris, is that you're talking about lifetime value of the customer. This is not just a, a one and done, if you will. Right. And one of the things we've been talking about a lot on the show in the past six months here in 2019, probably Q2 and Q3 primarily is is the, I think, the strong growth in last mile solutions. Uh, obviously, I have a lot of brick and mortar retailers that are expanding and a lot of brands that are expanding into and changing continually their channel it's, uh, channel strategy to just be the optimal experience for their target end consumer. And you, you're talking about things that I think maybe aren't as easy to grasp for like a long-time wholesale-based brand or a uh, brick-and-mortar retailer. Um, and focusing on that lifetime value, I think as a startup and with you guys being your own consumer from the get-go, you really have focused on like, here's how I would want to be treated, right? <laughs> this is what I would want because you're a competitive triathlete and cyclist. Who wants to have their bike be gone for, you know, one day, two days, three days? Or who has time really to, like, order the parts in in time to get it on an event or on in time for an event, right? So I totally hear, like, where this came from. But then I also think that was the center of the halo. And I think a little expansion happened because of the way the consumer kept evolving over the past five, six years. They really have grown to expect this on-demand service that they can trust, where they can hop online and book something and know that it's actually going to happen. So I really do feel like um, absolutely right. You're getting more people to get their, you know, maybe it's five or six bikes fixed in their garage while you come to their home and that's more people cycling, right? And so I feel like that's a really, it's a true fact. And you're doing that successfully because you're focused on that end consumer and that experience that they have. Yeah, I think we, we've heard this many, many times. And, and I, you know, when we launched in Vancouver, I, I personally experienced it. We had a lot of people book with us and have the mobile bike shop come to their home and they had a flat tire. You know, and that may sound crazy or, or silly to some people, but, you know, getting your bike to a shop if you don't have a car, which a lot of our customers don't have a bike rack, which a lot of our customers don't, just getting your bike there to get fixed and serviced can be a challenge for some people. And something as, as small as, as, you know, they have a flat tire, they don't own a pump and, and the bike sits in the garage or it sits on their deck or it sits in their condo. So we had many, many of those experiences where somebody was, we made the process easier for them, less intimidating. And, and they got their, their bike fixed and they started riding again. And maybe they haven't ridden for six months or a year or whatever it was. And those people fall back in love with cycling now they want to upgrade their bike they want to upgrade their equipment they want to upgrade their helmet and once again it's just it's a matter of getting more people on bikes and and i think as i said earlier everybody wins in that process but there's no question that there has been a massive shift even in the time that we started this business of what people expect in terms of service levels the speed at which they expect things and amazon prime is a great example i have a good friend of mine who lives in seattle and, you know, like literally you get things within an hour, <laughs> you, mm -hmm. you know, you could be sitting, sitting at your desk and you're going home and, and you need a couple of bottles of wine delivered for dinner and it's there before you are. And, 
that, you know, the, 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 the whole food delivery business, the evolution there, um, obviously I mentioned Uber and Lyft and things like that. Like the expectations of people have changed dramatically and um, also in terms of how people educate themselves. So you, know, you can go online and do all the due diligence you want on a new triathlon bike or a new mountain bike. And you can basically spend 20 minutes or 30 minutes and be able to dig through reviews and what's the best bike for the type of riding I want to do. And all those things and all that information is now more accessible to people. The one piece that's, that still is the challenge, which is what we solve, is you can do all the homework you want. You can buy the bike online. But there's still a lot of people that don't have the you know, skill set or the time or the tools or the room to build their own bikes and to feel confident about building those bikes and then go on and ride it. So what we do may not be the sexy piece of, of the business overall, but at the end of the day, it's, it's always going to be needed. And, um, you know, you talk about electric bikes and the movement of electric bikes. And those are just a great example of bikes that, you know, have all the same wear and tear issues of a traditional bike, but now you have, a, a, you know, a quotation mark engine component that needs diagnostics. It needs to be checked. So, what we're doing in terms of that, that service piece is, you know, we believe is never going to go away. You know, you can, um, wh- where people buy things and how people get things, I think will continue to evolve and change, but that service piece is, is always going to be there. And as I said, that that's really what we focused on. And as the business evolved, then we started to get better at selling parts and accessories and make the mobile bike shop more of a retail type of feel. We have a, an endless aisle now. So if you're in the van, or working on your bike, you can buy a new helmet and we can have it shipped to your house. So, you know, we're, we're evolving all those things to, to become uh, even more of a retail play. But at the end of the day, that service piece is, uh, is always going to be there. I totally agree with you. And it's like, if I, I, I would look to you if I trusted you for more things that I could solve to make me have more time to ride. So it totally makes sense. So can we dig in a little bit to your, um, I guess you'd call it an e-commerce development or solution that you're that you're looking into because obviously I think that's going to be really interesting for the people who tune into this podcast and I also feel like it it's contained to bike right now with what we're talking about but the model itself I think is relevant to all of the markets that we serve and who turn into the show here but it, so let's talk about that if I'm in your van and you're you're servicing my bike I'm having a coffee um, I'm able to talk with you in a way that isn't intimidating. And I have to tell you, as I'm an avid cyclist and I still feel like I'm intimidated going into some shops. So like that's really welcoming. So I'm in there and I'm like, gosh, you know, I'm talking to my VeloFix, you know, local technician and asking about sunglasses or I'm asking about the right tires for the ride I'm going to go do or, hey, you know, I only have a road helmet and I need a mountain bike helmet. What do you recommend? How are you selecting brands to provide fulfillment for through your vans? Great question. I mean, I think the evolution for us has been really, we knew in the beginning that's where we wanted to get there. But what happened is we went out and we really focused on the labor and the service piece. And the van wasn't uh, as retail friendly as it is today. But as we, as we did that, more and more people would, would talk to Boris, talk to the mechanics, talk to our franchise partner mechanics as we, as we grew the business and say, look, can you give me some advice on this? I'm looking for a new pair of shoes. I'm looking for a helmet. Um, I want a new bike computer. What do you recommend? So um, with 100 square feet, we're obviously limited in terms of what we can carry. But the vans all come stocked with an Oakley display. Most of our our franchise partners will carry Garmin or other bike computers in there, power meters. You know, all those things are are in the van. And if we don't have it in the van, uh, we can order it um, through one of our, our suppliers. But in the in the the reality of our business model is, and it's you know I guess it can be it can be perceived as positive and negative. Um, you know the negative is yeah we don't have five thousand square feet to pile up a bunch of inventory. The positive is we don't have five thousand square five thousand square feet to pile up. I was just going to say that. <laughs> yeah, we 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 run very lean, and our franchise partners and our our uh, our mechanics do a very, very good job of, of having that right selection in the van. And they get to know who their customers are and they know what markets they're in, whether they're a little bit more mountain bike or a little bit more road, or they've got a bigger triathlon customer base. So we do a really good job of having the right products in the vans. And if we don't, and you know, we don't, 
we don't typically have a lot of selection for helmets and shoes and things like that. But we, you know, we, we, at the end of the day, purchase our product through the exact same channels as, as all the, the independent bike shops and the major retailers in North America. So we have access to it, all the same products. Um, so once again, we, we can get that to the, the consumer, whether we have it in the van or we bring it back and deliver it, or we can ship direct to their home. And that's everything from a pair of shoes to a two a bike rack. Uh, so, you know, that, that's, that's what we started focusing on more and more in our businesses. Um, having the right products, curating the right products. And once again, the, the great part of our business is I, we, we can't carry 37 different bar tapes and cars. We have to be a lot more specific in what we do, but we find that our, our customers actually appreciate that. And, um, and we try to carry uh, the best quality products out there. And, and um, you know, I found as a consumer in a lot of cases, you know, I get confused when there's too many options and I, and I get a little overwhelmed. So to have a professional uh, certified bike mechanic in the van say, you know what, this is the bar tape I recommend. Do you want it in black or white? And mm-hmm. um, and that's really what we focused on. That's awesome. Let's also talk about your relationship with Canyon Bicycles because I have a feeling, you know, that was the first of, of what could be more. Uh, and, you know, maybe it's a formal partnership or like how does that, like what are the boundaries around that? I think that's a really interesting thing that I know a lot of people who are listening to the show, especially obviously in the bike community, are watching closely and have been watching closely Uh I think that Blair Clark's episode on the Channel Mastery podcast was literally like the most downloaded show. I think people were just super curious to hear like, what is this guy who we know and love as a wholesale business leader? How is he going to lead this brand, Canyon Bicycles, a 20-year trusted, you know, premier brand coming into the United States? Obviously, a lot of people here already know about this, right? And how, ha- like, tell me about how that partnership manifested and why that was a slam dunk for you guys and kind of how you hope to evolve it. Yeah, well, we met Roman Arnold, who's the founder of, of Canyon at Interbike and Sea Otter over the years. And uh, he always came by and said hi, and we talked about the business model, and we explained our position and the fact that we felt we were a premium service. We wanted to get the higher end of the market, and we wanted to work with premium brands. And uh, we thought and have always admired Canyon and thought it was a premium brand and thought when they did come to North America, we were a perfect partner. Roman did not think that uh, years ago. He was very uh, polite and eloquent and just said, look, we, you know, we, uh, we wanted to work directly with our customers and uh, you know, I like what you're doing, but uh, I don't think this is a potential partnership. So every year we talked to Roman and we went from five vans to 15 vans to 30 vans to 80 vans to a hundred vans. And uh, like a lot of things in life, talk is cheap. You have to prove yourself and you have to be sustainable and you have to uh, build your reputation. And, and I think we did that. And uh, at the end of the day, Roman um, agreed to work with us. And, and, uh, and then Blair came on board and I have a ton of respect for, for Blair and what he's done in the industry. And, uh, you know, perfect guy to lead this, uh, to lead Canyon and the company. And the, the partnership is, is wonderful for us. And basically, it's, it's very simple. When you're online buying your, your Canyon bike, uh, at the end of the process, you can either have uh, that delivered to your front door or you can have uh, Velofix come, deliver the bike, build it for you, give you some education on the bike, give you a quick fit on that bike, take all the packaging away at the end. And if you need any parts or accessories for that bike at that time, uh, we can put it on for you and, and have it ready to ride. Uh, we take it for a test ride. And when we leave, uh, we're confident that that bike is uh, in perfect running order. And, you know, we use net promoter score in our business. We, we live and die by it. It's critical for what we do. And our net promoter score on Canyon deliveries is over 98%. So I think we've proven to them that, that we provide a great last mile solution. We also do warranty work for them. Uh, there's not much of it, but whenever there's an issue in the field, we do it. And also, you know, at the end of the day, that consumer they've made a choice when they bought a Canyon bike, you know, they haven't gone into a traditional retail store to buy it. They're already thinking a little bit differently. So for us to come along and be their service provider after that purchase, it's just a natural fit. And, um, you know, we, we know the people that buy Canyon bikes are, are great customers of ours, whether it's a mountain bike, a road bike, or a, a triathlon bike. So it's been a great partnership. We work with, uh, you know, 20 plus other brands and provide, last mile service and, and build, you know, there's, there's a whole evolution coming here 
uh, that we haven't spoken about yet, but you're starting to see so many manufacturers that aren't and have not been in our space before that are coming to play. And I'm talking about General Motors and Yamaha and Cake and Fuel and um, uh, Harley Davidson. All of these companies are coming with e-bikes and you know they're in most cases a direct consumer model. They're going to need a service provider. They're going to need a warranty partner. And you know we see ourselves as, as that for potentially some of these brands as well. I'm so glad you brought that up. <clears throat> You're challenging me to kind of think bigger, and I appreciate that. On the because what I was going to ask you about is I was obviously reading and reading up a lot on um, your company and the coverage that it's had in the business press. And one of our you know home business providers, which is Bicycle Retailer and Industry News, and that's a co-producer of this podcast, um, reported that you guys are receiving between thirty and forty requests a month from bike brands looking for last mile fulfillment which is awesome. So can you give us a little bit of context on that? Like how old is that statistic? Have you seen it grow? And then are you already in touch with some of these broader e-bike future providers? Yeah. So I would say, uh, I would say that number is still fairly accurate. I think at the end of the day, uh, as I mentioned with, with these brands and yes, we've been in discussions with, with many different brands um, about the service we provide, but at the end of the day, there's just a tremendous movement to mobility. And when I say mobility, it's everything from, you know, somebody on a traditional road bike to uh, electric scooters. Uh, e-bikes has obviously been a huge driver of this as well, but there's, there's just a shift happening and people are using bikes now in North America, I'd say more for commuting um, where, as you know, in Europe, that, that's what m- the most, most people are on bikes are using it to get around. And I've seen a massive shift even in the, the six plus years that we've been around doing this of, of people that are now using bikes to commute and get somewhere and, and they're not getting into cars anymore for a lot of different reasons. So this shift is happening. More and more companies are getting into the space. And as I said earlier, most of those new companies, they've got no track record or relationships or histories of, of selling the product through a traditional IBD. So they need other solutions. And the challenge becomes is what I mentioned earlier is somebody can go online and buy a new bike. They may not feel comfortable building it. And in most cases, they don't feel comfortable maintaining it and servicing it. So brands that are coming to market that don't have uh, traditional partners out in the field need bevel fix at the end of the day to build those bikes, um, do warranty work for those bikes, and then ongoing service. Because I think you need to give the consumer confidence that, yeah, I can go and buy this bike on, online, but anything I need after that, there's a solution for me. So we haven't seen that flow slow down, and I don't think it is going to slow down. I think if you're a manufacturer in today's world, I don't care if you're selling running shoes or T-shirts or bikes, you have to have your product available in a multitude of places if you're going to be successful. And that's traditional uh, brick and mortar, that's online, that's maybe non-traditional brick and mortar that you haven't sold to in the past. And uh, once again, at the end of the day, we truly believe that in the bike space, that service piece is always going to be there. And that's where we're focused our energy and our time. And that's where we're going to continue to focus our energy and our time. And mobility is, this is just starting. I mean, the flow is just, it's just been crazy to me, the amount of brands that are getting the, the bike space. It is super exciting. One thing that I'd love to touch on, I think this is a focus area for you guys, is the actual, you know, how you're talking about service so much as your main point of differentiation. That obviously is a human-to-human interaction. I mean, there's there's a service that I get when I'm booking the appointment and the follow-up that you're doing to make sure that I'm getting checkups that I need, et cetera. But let's talk a little bit about how you're investing in your people, your frontline people. And I also would love for you to chat a little bit about um, how you're expanding into your corporate fleet, because I know these things go hand in hand. But if you could talk about those two facets, I think that's also a key differentiator to the Velofix brand and the actual like lifetime value of the customer, because you're really investing in a place that I think that honestly part of the reason that wholesale is declining in some cases, the non-remarkable brick-and-mortar retailers primarily, is because they've almost like through the process of like engineering their profit, they've really not invested in their people. And I feel like something that you're doing that really stands out is not only are you offering this convenience, but you're making sure that you have exceptional people 
delivering the service and doing the follow-up. So you really are focusing on that human-to-human component, which is so key to specialty. Yeah, there's a few, um, a few points to that. As I mentioned earlier, we use Net Promoter Score, and uh, we get those results every Sunday. And uh, we, we get the Net Promoter Score. We also get the testimonials, and we use that. So, so both positive and negative. You know, our overall system-wide net promoter score is over 96%, which is just an unbelievably high number. This is a a metric that's used by many Fortune 500 type companies, Apple, Costco, brands like that. At the end of the day, it's our franchise partners. We've got wonderful franchise partners. Uh, Our franchise partners are either the mechanic uh, that is in the mobile bike shop or um, our franchise partners that we call investors that that hire uh, mechanics hire general managers to run their business. So at the end of the day, you know, we can sit in our head office in Vancouver or Austin and, and, and do, uh, do great work and try to build a great brand. But if our franchise partners are executing and delivering that high level of service, then none of it works. So really you know, we've only launched two corporate trucks at this point in time in Austin, Texas, all the success is, is driven by our franchise partners. And they know how critical it is. They understand how important it is to have a good reputation in their um, in their community. They know how important it is to have a repeat customer. You know, our business today, our number one source of revenue today in 2019 is a repeat customer, and our number two is is from a referral. So, uh, and number three is they saw the van. So, when we look at our business and how it drives, our franchise partners know and our mechanics know that they have to give a great experience and a great service because that person's, you know, A, going to come back and B, they're going to tell, tell their friends. So it's something we've worked on and we've, we've uh, tried to provide best in class um, experiences and practices for our franchise partners, but really they've executed. And at, at the end of the day for, for our mechanics in, in the mobile bike shops, I think one of the reasons our net promoter score is so high is it's just a new experience for a lot of mechanics. They're out driving around a, a beautiful sprinter van. They're meeting clients face to face. They're in driveways. The doors are open. They've got fresh air. They're at events. Uh, we do a lot of corporate work you know, with a lot of great corporate clients like Microsoft and Google and Snapchat. So they get to they get to be one on one and they get to meet a lot of great people. And I think for a lot of mechanics, that's huge. That, that's that's what they love. It they get to. You know, they see like they see the value add that they're doing. So it works both ways. We we it's something we live and die by from a head office perspective. But our franchise partners have done an incredible job with with our brand and our reputation, and they know how important it is too. And are you continuing to kind of up level the training that you're providing quarter by quarter, or possibly providing them with reasons to get back in front of their consumers that they're serving or like, what are some of the things that you're providing to them that enable them to be motivated to be successful and, and be able to focus on the things that are really mattering that you're seeing maybe on the other side? Yeah, that, that for us is, is critical is we've, we've never taken on a substantial investment in the, in the history of the company. You know, we had a, we have two angel investors who uh, came very, very early in the process, uh, Charles Chang from from Lyric Growth. We had one mobile one mobile truck when he invested in Jim Living, who uh, is on Dragon's Den in Canada, which is uh, what Shark Tank came from essentially. Um, you know, and I think we had five or six mobile bike shops when he invested. So we were really building the business organically and internally. And earlier this year, we took on a pretty significant funding uh, from NKB, and um, and that's really allowed us to build out our team, build out our infrastructure obviously open an office down here. So that is a critical piece of what we're doing going forward. Ongoing training, uh, best practices, how we can support our franchise partners and make sure that they've got all the support they need. And um, yeah, that, that's ongoing. But once again, we, we clearly understand the value of that and how important it is. And in today's world with social media and, uh, and how fast things move, you just can't afford to run your business and not look after your clients. It just, the world's too small. The message gets out too fast. And um, as I said earlier, I mean, we have our franchise partners to thank. They've, they've absolutely gone out there and done an amazing job for us. And it's interesting, since we've started working together, I've asked a lot of people just in my network and frankly in my family, you know, if they've heard of Velofix and how they heard of Velofix. And they've seen the vans, the ones that are in major cities. So it, it makes sense if, if 
if you could talk a little bit about the funding that you're going to be pointing toward the corporate fleet, it, it really seems to be clicking in terms of like, we're going to bring that experience to more people through our corporate bands, right? And that's going to really raise the level of demand for everybody because ultimately you're going to be in front of more people. And really this is the type of service that you actually have such a great experience that you take the time to go online and, and rate it because it was such a time saver and frankly, such a cool discovery that you want to share it with friends. So can you talk a little bit about your vision behind the corporate fleet? Because ultimately, I think that is such a powerful play in terms of being able to really elevate the experience and just provide more points of entry. For sure. From our perspective, anyway, the, the, the corporate fleet is going to enhance the franchise partner system and the, corp, you know, the franchise partner system is going to enhance the corporate fleet. The reality is the more mobile shops we have on the road, uh, the more coverage we have just gives us so many more opportunities than we have today. So really from, from our perspective, the corporate, um, the corporate mobile shops are going to go in locations where we don't have franchise partners. We're going to get our network built out. It's going to give us, as I said, it's going to give us more awareness. It's going to give us more buying power, more buying power with our, um, with our suppliers. It's going to allow us to do different things from a media perspective. So really at the end of the day is, um, you know, when you, when you look at how many traditional retailers are out there today and where we're going, um, you know, we've got big growth plans. And, and really, I think at the end of the day, the, the franchise partners and the, and the corporate locations are going to work hand in hand and, and it's going to drive the growth. And, um, you know, from, from our perspective anyway, it's, it's, it's critical that we, both, we continue to do both of those very well. But, you know, we think it's a win-win. And as I said earlier, you know, for us to go out and say down the road when we have 300 locations, it, when you talk to, to bike manufacturers and when you talk to potential partners, it, it's all about scale and accessibility and, and essentially how many zip codes you cover. And, and for us, that's, you know, that's a big part of our growth plans here is to, to get more mobile shops on the road, do it efficiently, do it properly, but really to, to grow this network at, um, you know, at a pretty rapid rate. That's super exciting. Do you have anything that you can maybe uh, tip your hand about in terms of partnerships that are in development? Obviously, we've talked about Canyon. Uh, we've talked about some prospective e-bike companies, and it sounds like a lot of them are in the motorcycle space today and are expanding into e-bikes, obviously. And you, I think you've got some partnerships with some corporate entities where they have large campuses and, and your uh, franchise partners will go service those campuses, which is another fantastic idea. What a great time saver. But any other partnerships that you can talk about just as we're seeing this craze and, and growth of mobility, especially in urban areas, uh, I think that has a lot to do with demographics, but also just it's a forced hand, right? Like we have to figure out ways to get around cities more conveniently. So anything you want to talk about in terms of you know, partnerships that you might see on the horizon, even if it's just sort of ballparking it, not naming names? Yeah, I think you know from a corporate perspective, it's been uh, it's been very exciting for us because it, everything from uh, delivering and building bikes on on big campuses to ongoing fleet maintenance. So you've got corporate customer, you've got hotel chains. We work with police forces. Uh, we work with in some places we work with bike share. So you know anywhere where you're starting to see this influx of bikes. Um, the challenge to get those services for, for uh, to get those service for these companies is very challenging. Imagine you're running a hotel and you've got 20 bikes that your guests can, can get on and ride, um, being able to keep those serviced uh, and maintained on a regular basis. So all that corporate work's been, been fantastic for us and it's something we continue to focus on. But we've got a lot of uh, announcements uh, I'm hoping are going to come uh, before the end of the year here. I always get in trouble when I when I speak ahead of, ahead of these things getting signed and done, so I'm going to keep my mouth shut on who they are. But it's, I'd say, a combination of what I call traditional bike manufacturers, and then I think you're going to see a, a big movement here with non-traditional bike manufacturers that are entering the e-bike space. And these brands are, you know, these are, these are in some cases multi-billion-dollar brands that have leverage, have marketing ability, and have a, a massive customer base. When you when you look at who's already driving their cars and who's already riding their bikes, so yeah, we're excited. I mean, at the end of the day, mobility and and what that looks like is, is changing every day. Every city I go to, you know, I'm in Austin right now. I'm from Vancouver. These there's just there's people on bikes everywhere. There's more and more bike lanes. 
And, you know, I think this movement of people getting out of cars is, uh, is just starting to happen and it's going to start moving really, really fast. So, uh, as I said earlier, for us, it's build out our, uh, infrastructure, get more mobile sh- bike shops on the road, continue to be consistent and provide a premium experience. And, uh, you know, right now, um, we, uh, we think we're very well positioned and, you know, if you want to give it a bike metaphor, I mean, the, the tailwinds are, are very, very strong. The service piece will always be a necessity. And uh, I think right now we're the best positioned company to do that in North America. That is super exciting. And one of the things I love most about what you said, Chris, is just the fact that as you talk about mobility and the opportunity there, to me, that means more inclusiveness in terms of who can raise their hands and join the cycling tribe. You know what I mean? And that's really, a, we talk about that so much because ultimately as the industry continues to change, there's more and more people coming in. They just don't look the same as the old consumers that we're used to serving. And so I feel like you're a really great portal to show us around, you know, who this new person is. And I know you're also, you know, the more vans that you have on the ground, the more data will be available. And I think there will be more of a proof of concept there. So you're really an important part of this movement to bring more people into the cycling community, no matter what they look like, what they ride or why they ride. Well, it's, it's funny you say that we, we've always joked internally that, that, uh, and we've always really focused on being Switzerland and uh, we use that term internally a lot. And, um, basically that means, you know, we don't care if uh, you're on an electric bike or a mountain bike or a road bike or you're a triathlete. Um, you know, we welcome all those those customers and consumers. And I think the one thing, you know, when you talk about e-bikes specifically is you're seeing this massive spread of who that person is riding an e-bike. It is literally, you know, somebody graduating university and not having enough money for a car or quite frankly, not wanting to drive a car and they need another mode of transportation to my parents who are, you know, 80 years old and haven't been on a bike for 20 years who are now rolling around on their e-bike for an hour or two every day and, and they couldn't be more happy or excited. So, um, you know, those, that widespread customer base of, of who's on electric bikes, it's so cool to see because it's, it's just such a wide spectrum. And quite frankly, a lot of those people, um, you know, they, they don't know where to buy bikes. They don't know where to get them serviced. So, uh, we think if we can position as as that that value add and that that service provider to them, it, it's a win win. But it's been really cool to see. I mean, uh, as you said, I think at the end of the day, the more people that get on bikes, everybody in the industry wins. You know, if you're a traditional brick and mortar store and you're doing a good job, you're going to survive and you're going to do well. And for us at Bellowfix, it's the same thing. The more people that are rolling around, we all have an opportunity to win that. Absolutely. And I have to say, I've said this to you probably three or four times now. I really think this is one of the best franchise opportunities out there. I'm not kidding you. I mean, I literally am like, okay, my son is almost 18. (laughs) I have no idea if he's going to go the path of like a traditional four-year university. Like this is the perfect, perfect business. Um, I think just because it ties together passion and so much opportunity. And I just really have to, you know, high five you. Uh, You guys have really positioned yourself as a fantastic growth portal at this time. And I'm super excited that Verity's along for the ride. So let's go do this. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. It's been, uh, it's been a fun ride and it's, it's, uh, it's great to work with you as well and, and try to you know, drive awareness for, for what we do and, and what the brand is. And from a, uh, a franchise perspective or a franchisee perspective, at the end of the day, um, I think there is a, people are looking at things differently now in, in the world and, uh, there's a passion to cycling and the bike business and all of our franchise partners have that passion. That's what connects them. You know, I don't think we have any franchise partners that were out actively looking to buy a franchise. You know, what happened was they saw us at an event, they used us, they were a customer or their brother used us or their cousin used us or somebody told them about Bellofix and they quickly got, they got it. Like you don't need to really explain it in too much detail. It's like, oh, I get it. It makes total sense with the way things are going in the world and the way uh, business is shifting. This business model makes sense. So there's a romance to it and there's a passion to it. And then at the end of the day, it's a legitimate business model that, that you can grow. So if you're a mechanic that either left the industry or you're working in the industry and you want to own your own business, it's a great opportunity. And from a business perspective or an investor perspective, it's uh 
it's an opportunity where you can put multiple mobile shops on the road and have a legitimate profitable business. And we'll put the link to, you know, your overview for the, you know, potential franchise partners in the show notes, but tell us where everybody can learn more about you. And I want to give a quick plug to, uh, you know, Chris does a great job on LinkedIn. So check out his LinkedIn profile there, but also it's velofix.com. And is there anything else that you guys, that you'd like to have me share with um, the audience here today? No, no, I, I think we, I think we covered everything. As, as I said, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're really proud of what we built. We've got a fantastic team. Uh, David, Boris, and I have been doing this from day one, but we've, we've been lucky, and we've, uh, you know, I'd say we've been good to build out a, a fantastic team at a head office uh, level. Uh, we've got great franchise partners who are passionate and believe in what we're doing, and believe in looking after the consumer. And, um, you know, with that and the corporate trucks we're going to roll out, we're just going to continue to focus on uh, providing a premium, consistent service every time. And um, we're excited. Uh, We really feel like we're just getting going here. And uh, as I said, with the shift in mobility and the way things are changing, uh, we just think we're in the the right place at the right time and we're excited about the future. I can't wait to see how it unfolds. And I'm sure as things develop and they will be developing quickly, we'll have you back on the show to report in. But thank you so, so much for your time today, Chris. It's been just awesome to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Great to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you're finding value in the Channel Mastery Podcast, and I certainly hope you are, I'd love to ask that you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform as well as rate and review the show on iTunes. Doing so helps more people discover the content, more specialty business and brand leaders can be helped by the incredible resources we're offering every week on the show. I also would like to invite you to join our community at channelmastery.com or verdepr.com. Sign up with your email and you'll receive special resources and content created just for friends of the podcast. You'll also receive advance notice of new Channel Mastery trainings and offerings like our brand new digital resource and membership that's opening up in Q3 2019. Thanks for listening and see you next week.